The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. So last week when we talked about Miracle Sunday, I'll keep this brief, we talked about the, the what and um, you know, the whole expanding facility, making room, the, the goal uh, coming up May 21st, 650,000. First of all, I want to share a couple of wins real briefly. And uh, one would be that really over the last seven days, uh, we've seen 115,000 of that come in already. And so that's a huge win. Really, it moves, yeah, it moves that number down. So, you know, 535 is where we're at, and that's a win. The other one is that in connecting with the city about the scope change and, and, and that kind of stuff, they're not asking us to go back to the architect to redo a bunch of the stuff and then bring it back and resubmit to the city because we've already got the green light to build. That saves us not only time and, and the issue with being at the city and the cost there, but also with the architect. So that's another huge both financial and timeline win. So just wanted to share that. I also wanted to just briefly say this. It's not the what. I realize the what is, is a building and, and we talk finances, but the why behind it comes back to what happened this week. And I mentioned how we received an award on Tuesday from the city. And it's pretty cool. I'm just going to read this, but it's pretty cool to realize they give this award out to one organization once a year. And this is a post the city put out a couple of days ago. It says at, at the Marysville Business Summit on Tuesday, the Grove Church was honored with the Community Champion Award for its many impactful community service projects in Marysville, Tulalip and surrounding communities. Last year's Community Champion Award recipient, Perry Watson III, owner of Marysville Toyota, presented the award to outreach lead Teresa Kerr and executive pastor Ryan Laffer. So good job. Um, in its summer iHeart program, hundreds of Grove Church volunteers worked nearly 6,000 hours total um, at 17 project sites last year. The Grove Church also raised more than 10,000 pounds of food and $10,000 for the Marysville Community Food Bank each of the last two years. And by the way, you probably heard that that ends today. And if you need to go back, do some shopping, come back later, we're going to fill the truck here at about 1231 o'clock. So you can do that. A uh, little pitch. Uh, also offers free tutoring service and dinner serving about 40 middle school and high school students each week, served more than 1,000 students with back-to-school supplies, backpacks, haircuts, and more at its back-to-school bash, holds a free community dinner, the neighborhood every Tuesday at the Marysville Historical Society, and we outgrew one dinner. Now there's two, one at 5.30 and one at 6. 45. Puts on a free family-friendly carnival for the community every October 31st. Hosts the Marysville Community Food Bank Toy Store. Adopts single-parent families for the holidays and brings Christmas cheer to another community or organization in need. Thank you, Grove Church, for embodying what it means to be a community champion. And so when I mention that, yeah, you can definitely applaud. Um, When I mention that, that's what I'm saying. It's not the what, it's the why. It's understanding that God has challenged each of us to, yes, gather in an environment like this, worship together, be challenged. But the idea of being challenged to go out and be a light, to go out and make a difference, and that's really the embodiment of who we are. So when you applaud, obviously it's not, hey, good job, Nick. It's really about every one of us that's mobilized to make a difference, and we want to make room for others to continue to join the family and continue to make a difference. Amen? So I'm going to pray one more time. We'll jump into the message here momentarily. God, thank you for all that you would do through each of us. And while the heart of it is not that we're trying to earn our gold stars in heaven, the heart behind it is we want people to see tangibly the love and compassion of Jesus. We want people to see tangibly why the cross matters to each of us so much that we receive the grace of God through what was done. And what we want to do is leave a room like this 
and go out and make that difference on Sunday afternoons and Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, all throughout the week, God. So we commit to that. Help us as we think towards Miracle Sunday in a few weeks, what we each could do. And we look forward to you multiplying loaves and fish, modern day, God, that we can accomplish what we need to to make room for others. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. 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 We're going to be in James chapter 3 as we continue our series, Reclaiming Relationships. Every Sunday that Heather and I come to the church, we, we sometimes have to drive separate because we have to be here at different times. And then, of course, our son Jack is a custodian, and he has to be here at different times. So sometimes there's actually three different vehicles we've had to drive to church. What happens sometimes, though, is that it means inventory when we're leaving. Hey, do we have coats? Do we have the Bibles? Do we have, you know, whatever other stuff before we leave and head home? Um, And even last Sunday, I was walking to my car and I called Heather and no answer. And then I called Stella and got no answer. And then I called Jack and he answered. Thank God for Jack, right? Okay, so... um, And I said this, hey, do you know where Hudson is? Because sometimes the inventory includes children. Um... (laughs) So I said, do you know where Hudson is? And, and he goes, uh, yeah, he went with mom. I said, are you sure? He goes, yeah, I'm sure. Um, and I drove home and I get there and sure enough, there was Hudson. Um, because there are other days where it wasn't true. Um, <laughs> right, whoops. Okay, and you laugh, I'm assuming because you've done the same thing before. We do inventory and we forget the backpack, we forget the coat, we forget the child. Um, and that's kind of the way that goes at certain moments. We've all had examples like that and we've had to circle back to get something that we've left behind. And sometimes it's a kid, and I wanna assure you that we have in our budget counseling sessions so our kids can navigate the trauma, and they're gonna be fine. So just, uh, just an encouragement there. No, the reason that this happens, though, um, is really, uh, it has a root cause, and it comes down to communication, right? We, we, there, there wasn't a, even a text that says, hey, I got Hudson. Last week, there just happened to not be one for whatever reason. Sometimes it's no communication. Sometimes it's miscommunication. Um, and sometimes it can just be bad communication. Again, these examples really are for all of us because the question is this, how many challenges in life could be minimized or disappear altogether because there was sufficient communication. Easy examples, like I said, a text, a quick face-to-face reminder, a phone call, or whatever. But if you take it deeper, you could think of it, and I want you to consider this, how many challenges um, in our marriages could be dealt with or even minimized? How many things in, in, in those deeper relationships uh, that, that need attention don't get the attention because sometimes in a relationship, it's hard to have difficult conversations. It's hard to sit down and say, hey, we need to talk about something and dive into those deeper things where maybe in a marriage, you're just missing it. And so oftentimes, marriage is a great example. Those conversations don't happen. And because those conversations don't happen, the relationship doesn't get better. And the problem when the relationship in that example doesn't get better is the marriage can grow more distant, which means the marriage is sometimes getting worse. And we continue to push the hard conversations under the carpet. And pretty soon there's a lump under the carpet. And relationally, we pass by and we keep tripping over the same issues, but we refuse to lift the carpet and have the conversations. Now, this isn't just in marriage. This can happen with great friendships. This can happen as parents to kids. This can happen in workplaces and does 
all the time. Most of us, if not all of us in this room, can think of times where the communication wasn't there or was misunderstood and it created a bigger mess than what really needed to be created. The need for communication is huge. And yet it's getting worse and worse in our culture. Kerry Newhoff, a guy who writes on leadership, said this, the culture needs an alternative to itself, not an echo of itself. And that's where for you and I, if we're followers of Christ and we read scripture at all, there's certain things that, that would help us understand how communication ought to work. The need is huge. How we communicate is huge as well. Because you know as well as I do, sometimes it's real easy to be passive aggressive in communication. We're saying something, but we're not saying it in a way that helps anything. Or you in involve the word sarcasm, right? I remember seeing a shirt years ago, sarcasm, just one more service I offer. And somebody in our last gathering is like, I have that shirt. I'm like, let's pray over it, okay? Um, <laughs> But again, it's that thing where we can communicate, but we know we're doing it in a way. And by the way, sarcasm can sometimes have its place to bring levity to a relationship, but oftentimes it's overused in a way that relationally, it's more like a shot across the relational bow so that the other person sort of gets the hint, right? We're trying to communicate something without actually communicating something. Okay, let's add to that the fact that tone or body language or facial expressions matter far more than maybe we realize, or we realize it, we just don't seem to care to really consider it. It's not just what you say, it's how you say what you say. When I was at Pilchuck in drama class back in the you know early 90s, um, I remember we'd be on the stage and in our class we would get in a circle and we would do improv stuff. And one of the things that we would do is the teacher would give us a sentence to say and somebody would jump into the middle of the circle and say the sentence and then they would stop, jump out and another person would get in the circle and they were required to say the sentence completely differently so that as many times as you can sort of say the sentence in a different different way, that would do the trick. And the idea was, it's amazing how when you put emphasis on certain words and minimize other words, things sound very differently. Have you ever played the game telephone? I remember being, I don't know, maybe kindergarten or first grade, and once again, you're sitting in a circle, and the teacher whispers something to the person to the right, and that person whispers it, and you go all the way around the room and get to the end, and you realize at the end, the sentence sounds nothing like the sentence that began the telephone. The amazing thing with the game telephone in our day sometimes, though, is that you can have telephone between one person and another, and it doesn't have to go through a bunch of people, and you can completely misunderstand what's being said. There's so much to communication that, that makes such a huge difference. Someone once said this, words create worlds. And it's amazing, again, how I was doing some reading this week, and I actually stumbled upon that phrase again, and I wasn't even preparing for my notes, but I thought, wow, there's really maybe something to this as we talk about today, this idea of communication. Words create worlds. Mark Batterson talks about in one of his books this idea of, of, of in Genesis 1, how in our whole universe, in the beginning, it says in Genesis 1, God said, let there be light. 
And that was the beginning of the ability to have life. And when you look at it through the lens of theology and science, if indeed God says, let there be light and the universe is ever expanding and galaxies are still somehow at the edge of our universe being created, then that one phrase from the very beginning in Genesis 1, let there be light, is still having an impact somewhere out there in our universe even today. Words create Worlds, And you can take it from Genesis 1, but also consider how words create worlds in your life, in those that are around you, in people that you interact with all the time. I'm going to refer to this book twice today, but again, Mark Batterson, he's a pastor, he's an author, he's somebody I've met just a couple of times, but I appreciate him immensely, he's a great writer. He wrote this book called Please, Sorry, Thanks, in fact, our life group's going through it this session But in the book, he says this, our words don't represent the world objectively. Rather, our words create. Like, is there somebody jumping on the ceiling? Because I don't know if that was. Um, Let's just keep going. If you're online, you can't hear it. But anyway, Um, our words don't represent the world objectively. Rather, our words create the world subjectively for better or worse. Listen to this. For better or worse, our words can function as self-fulfilling prophecies. They have the power to bless or to curse, to heal or to hurt, to give life or to cause death. Another book I'm reading is called Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell, and I'm just about finishing it up. But in this book, he gives an example, and follow me here. They, they put two groups of college students um, in, in two separate categories. And, and, and in this group over here, they were given an article to read, and this category here, also an article to read. The same article about the same topic, but written a bit differently. This group over here read the article, and it took more of a negative spin and used a lot more negative words in its description of the information. This group over here read the same article, but different words used on a more posi- far more positive slant, positive note. Then they were each required to take a test, not about the article at all, but something else entirely. And it was amazing how in the study, those that read the negative test scored lower than those that wrote, uh, the, sorry, those that read the negative article scored lower than those that read the positive article and then took the test afterwards. It's the power again of how words affect our ability to operate. I'm an I'm a assistant coach on uh, my son's baseball team. We were playing over at Cedar Field yesterday, and we have such a great time. It's so fun to coach the boys and encourage them. But one of the things that we do, and I love this, um, the other coaches and myself, we always try to be encouraging towards the kids. We don't get down on them or, or you know, angry with them at all. We just, we're not going that route at all. We try to encourage them. But here's what I love. Last week, one of the kids was really struggling. And if you know the game of baseball at all, especially when you're a bat, it's really a game of failure. Um, you know, if you're a great batter in the major leagues, you might get on base one out of three times. If you're okay, even better than average, you might get on base one out of four times. It's just the nature of the game. The problem with a game like that, though, is you have to learn how to fail and get back up and keep going without somehow letting that affect you. I pulled one of the kids aside, and it wasn't about batting, but it was uh, they were they were pitching and struggling with people getting some hits. And I pulled him aside and said, "Hey, man, I want to tell you something." I said, "You have got." great natural talent. Your mechanics are really incredible and you work hard. I said, but here's the deal. Unless you can wrap your head around like the emotional side of what's going on and move on from one moment to the next, I don't know that you'll ever get to where you really could get to. Because honestly, you're incredible, but you got to figure that piece out. And here's what I love. 
Our coaches, we've made it a point to specifically encourage them, and they consistently encourage each other, and we see them encouraging themselves and trying to move beyond a bad pitch, a bad play, a strikeout at bat, and it's, it's, it's awesome to watch this progression happen. So I want to take a look at, at James chapter 3 as we talk about the power of words, and it starts in verse 1. It says this, not many of you should become teachers my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Jesus, today, again, as we look at scripture and, and, and uh, walk through this, I pray for open hearts. I pray for really that convicting work and that challenge to leave here with, with open eyes and hearts that we can do differently, God, because we want to reclaim our ability to be healthy in relationship Help us, Father. We need you in Jesus' name. Amen. James is writing to a church in persecution that's scattered. He's the half-brother of Jesus, and, and he's a leader at the church in Jerusalem. And he takes on all kinds of different topics. It's pretty amazing. But when you get to chapter 3, he's talking about the tongue. And he starts in by saying, not many of you should presume to be teachers, because if you teach, you're going to be judged more strictly. And I hear that, and I tell you what, standing up here, I feel the trepidation. Oh God, I want to get this right. Oh God, I want to understand the weight of this conversation because to get it wrong is to take lightly what James says, do not take lightly. It's a reminder, not just for me though, it's a reminder for any one of us with some level of positional authority over anyone else. And maybe it's a parent to a child, maybe it's a teacher to students, or maybe as an employer or a boss, you have an individual or two or five or 20 or 100 people that are under you in your place of employment, whatever that might be, the reminder from James would be, be careful how you teach. And he's not talking about your ability to help people handle a certain tool or machine or, or whatever. He's talking on a spiritual level, however you carry yourself as somebody with authority needs to be careful careful of the influence because you can make people embittered towards Jesus because you teach great about handling a tool, but you're a jerk. 
Be careful, you will be judged on a spiritual plane more strictly. And then he brings all of us into this conversation, not one of us exempt. He says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. It's that whole, hey gang, we all struggle here. And while today, maybe your speech has been great, how was it last night? How was it at Christmas time? How was it a year ago? How has your speech been navigating your quality of relationships? He says, we all stumble. And then he gives some examples. When we put bits into the mouths of horses, we steer them. When there's a big ship on the sea and, and the winds blow, but the rudder takes it where it needs to go. And he's basically saying as humans, the smallest things can make a big difference. And maybe you're not an equestrian individual. Maybe you're not out on the you know, high seas as a sailor and you don't get that world. And modern day, you know, James could say it to you and I, hey man, you're incredible at real estate. You're great at helping build airplanes or you're an amazing teacher. And some of the simplest things that you do make a huge difference when you go to your place of employment. Or maybe you're incredible at getting grades and you're heading to college and you're working on scholarships and that's going well. You're athletic and, and people look at you and go, wow, that's awesome. Way to go. Great job. You're incredible. James would say those are great things. But then he says, but be aware. So let me read verse five. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. And then he says this, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. And we get that. We understand forest fires. We had some this last fall that were coming closer and closer towards Sultan. And we watched it on the news and got the smoke month after month, September, October. We're, we're familiar. He says, the tongue is also a fire. Do you see it that way? The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of of the body. It corrupts, and he's going to progress here, it corrupts the whole body, setting the course of your life on fire, and then no, no beating around the bush, and is itself set on fire by hell. The power of your words, the power of you to communicate can have great blessing and you're great at certain things and way to go. But do you understand how damaging your words can be? Are you flippant about certain conversations or the way that you say, and again, body language or the things that you post on social media? Well, somebody just has to say it, but are you thinking through how certain things get said? Some of the most difficult moments of your life have been because of what someone said. Think about that. Some of the most difficult moments of your life have been because of what someone else said. Names that you've been called, phrases that people use, sentences that were blurted out in moments of anger that hit you like a ton of bricks. And there are some of you that still remember the exact phrases that were used 10 and 20 and 30 and even 40 years ago. Weight that you carry because of the power of somebody's tongue. But the flip side of it is this. How about the fact that sometimes the words that you've said have deeply wounded other people? James says, do not minimize 
the power of your vocabulary, yes, for good, but also for terrible evil. And then he gets back to at the core of it, man, hell itself motivating you because you're not willing to pause and you release whatever's in there out of anger, out of judgment, out of jealousy, out of all kinds of things that are not of the spirit. James says, hell itself is what's motivating you. And while you might not see it that way, he's saying, that's the case. Do you see what he's trying to say? And then verse 7 and 8, he's going to kind of repeat the same idea. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And then again, continuing to, to not make the exaggeration, but make the point. With our tongues, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings. Isn't it amazing how 20 minutes ago, you and I are singing, and maybe you're, the words are in your heart, God, I need you, and I praise you, and you're awesome. All those things we sing, and we can say them, but, but later on, as you try to leave the parking lot, somebody cuts you off, and all of a sudden, you stupid. Or maybe it's not in the church parking lot because you know better. <laughs> but maybe it's when you get to Safeway or Noble Palace or wherever you're going to go to have lunch. Or maybe it says you head to work or maybe it's at work or in your neighborhood or with your family, wherever it might be. You bless God in one moment and another moment you curse humans. And then James says this, you curse them even though they're made in God's likeness. You know what James is saying there? People that God cares about, individuals God created, and you're willing to insult them. You're willing to use your words to poison them, and yet God loves them too. Out of the same mouth, verse 10, come praise and cursing. This should not be. Again, another example is he tries to make his point. Can fresh water and salt water come from the same spring? Can a fig tree bear olives? Can a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. The, the idea, what he's saying is this, blessing and cursing, if you say you're a follower of Christ, blessing and cursing cannot exist together. Let, let, me, let me continue to make the point. They're incompatible. And if we're excusing doing both, then we're hypocrites, we're two-faced, and we're even liars. That's how strong James is trying to make his point here. These things cannot exist together, period. And so let's talk about what does it mean to reclaim relationships? What does it mean to get healthier in how we navigate marriage or parenting, how we navigate friendships and workplaces, how we navigate neighborhoods and family reunions? What does it look like for us to be healthy people? And I would begin with this. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. It starts inside. It starts inside. There was a commercial that came out years ago, and I thought it was hilarious, and it was probably aired somewhere in the UK, maybe Europe somewhere, but, but it's a guy who's learning to, to operate uh, the, the, the phones or something for the German Coast Guard. And maybe you've seen this before, but there he is, and all of a sudden a call comes in, and it's from somebody with an English accent, Mayday, Mayday. 
Mayday, Mayday. And he doesn't know exactly what to do, so he hits the button. Uh, hello, this is the German Coast Guard. I'm like, Mayday, Mayday, we are sinking, we are sinking. And he comes back on, uh, hello, what are you sinking about? <laughs> right? It's a funny commercial, but I say it because just maybe in the humor of it, you can stop and consider what is it that you find yourself thinking about? On any given day, at any given time, there's usually some kind of inner monologue, right? That we're kind of walking through what's going on later, how we feel about a situation, things we worry about, what we want to eat, whatever it might be. But this inner dialogue, inner monologue, whatever it is, what is it to you? Is it negative? Is it anxiety-ridden? Is it unforgiving? Is it graceless? Is it full of being hot-tempered? What goes on inside of you because... Jesus in Luke chapter six says this, no tree, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its fruit. People don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. Doesn't that sound like James? Again, half brothers, Jesus and James. All right. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Another way to put it, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's being stored up in you? So let me quickly, for the sake of time, take you to something that Paul says in Philippians chapter four. Therefore, so you think about what's being stored up in me? What, what, what am I banking inside of myself that at some point it's going to come out? James says this, therefore, sorry, Paul in Philippians 4, 8, excuse me, says this, therefore, brothers and sisters, listen to these words, listen, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on those things, dwell on those things, meditate on those things, contemplate those things. Because going back to Jesus, if you meditate on things that build you up, then what comes out in certain moments is not vitriol, is not wrath and unforgiveness and bitterness, is not those things that will damage relationships, but instead things that can reclaim relationships. And as you dwell on those things that are true, noble, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, when you do that, what comes out is grace. What comes out is love. What comes out is the ability to build bridges with others and not destroy them. It starts on the inside. Number two, pray first, think twice. Everybody say pray first. Think twice. And when I say pray, here's what it is. Just to be honest with you, because we have an incredible heavenly father. God, I am angry about that. And I don't like what they said. And I don't know how to handle. And I feel upset. And all, you can pour that out to God because that's the model that we actually see in the Psalms. Oftentimes, David, when he's writing, is saying, these people don't like me. That guy tried to betray me. Those individuals are trying to sack me. The, all this stuff is going on that's trying to destroy my life, and I don't even know what to do. And oftentimes in those Psalms, not all of them, but oftentimes, he'll turn back to, but God, I know you're there. And God, I know that you care. And it's that whole thing of pray 
over those circumstances. If you're taking notes, just write down Psalm 109 and you can read it later. Pray first. And then, like I said, think twice. James chapter 1, verse 19 says this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slower still to become angry. Simply translated by somebody a long time ago, they put it this way, you and I have two ears and one mouth so that we listen twice as much as we speak. Pray first, think twice. You feel a certain way. You've just gotta get it out there. Is what I'm about to say or how I say it, is it going to help or hurt? Is it going to heal or injure? If I say it, what's about to be accomplished? It starts inside. Pray first, think twice. And then number three, and by the way, this comes from conflict resolution steps. But here's the phrase, seek to understand, not be understood. When it comes to communication and you're trying to go deeper in a relationship and and deal with something that just isn't working out or matching up or whatever that is, it's not just about you listening to defend your position because that's not really listening. It's about trying to listen to, to understand where the other person is coming from when they explain why they think that or why they do that or why that's going on. And instead of you simply wanting to defend where you're at, Seek to understand, not be understood. Again, meet people where they're at, not where you expect them to be, and you'll get a lot further in resolving certain conflicts. Seek to understand, not be. And then finally, number four, get better at please, I'm sorry, and thank you. And I know that's so cheesy because I realize I mentioned this book, Please, Sorry, Thanks. But there's something about the posture, and it's a great, simple, easy book to read if you want to get it. There's something about the posture of those of us that want to try to live in a world where we're willing to say, please, we're willing to say, I'm sorry, and we're willing to say, thank you. And it comes from a place of being polite, walking in repentance, living in humility, and expressing gratitude. All of those things will improve relationships around you. Please, sorry, thank you. I want to read as I wrap this up today a little bit from page 42 in this book when you think about the power of your words and my words. When the Bible uses the word prophecy in the new covenant in particular, what it means is to declare truth. Declare like I'm doing. I'm declaring truth, declaring the word of God. That's always my goal. And I don't want to misunderstand it because it gets people get a weird idea of what prophecies I'm going to tell you your future. Here's your fortune kind of thing. That's not what we're talking about. But but here's something Mark Batterson says that I want you to consider in this book. I don't know what you do for a living, but you, my friend, are a prophet. Your words matter. Your words carry weight. You have the power to speak life or speak death. Could I be so bold as to add a hyphen to your occupation? I don't care what you do. You're a doctor prophet. You're a teacher prophet. You're a barista prophet. You're an Uber driver prophet. The same is true of parents. Prayer turns ordinary parents into prophets who shape the destinies of their children. And then he talks about an example from earlier in the book. He says, remember the pastor who spoke prophetically over my life? That was the first and last time I ever met him, but he changed the trajectory of my life with 10 words. God is going to use you in a great way. 
think about the power of your words. Think about the power of communication. And maybe for some of us in the room, it's high time that we repented of bad and negative communication. And maybe when you hear me say what I've said already today, it means circling back to a relationship that you need to make an apology and there's nothing wrong with doing that. Or, or maybe you're in the room today and it's not necessarily bad communication, it, it's, it's maybe lack of. You play sort of the silent game. You don't know what to say, so you say nothing. You don't know how to have a hard conversation. You just kind of leave things as is, but more and more distance seems to be growing between you and someone else. And again, marriage is a context, friendship, there's all kinds of ways, but maybe it's improving and committing to actually having communication. Maybe for some, it's, it's the beginning of what I said, you know, it starts inside. And, and then the fact that you dwell on negative, you dwell on angry, you dwell on anxiety ridden, but instead God would challenge you. And for you, maybe it's, you know what? I need to memorize that Philippians 4.8. I need to think through those words and am I processing life in a way that's helping me be healthy or not? And Philippians 4.8 is a great roadmap and those words are a great picture. And then finally, there's some homework I want to challenge you with when it comes to words, words, words. I want to challenge every person in the room today to either say or to write something that's deeply meaningful to somebody else in your circle. And again, I'll leave that as vague as I can when I say in your circle, because I didn't say circle of friendship, circle of family, circle of neighborhood, circle, I, whatever it might be. But I want to challenge you this week to either say in person or write something to somebody that's deeply meaningful and encouraging towards them. Because this whole series is, how do I get better at relationship? How do I reclaim relationship in my life and go deeper than I've ever gone because I can be healthier than I've been? Go ahead and stand to your feet and we're gonna pray here in just a moment. I know we mentioned this, but uh, earlier, as far as giving the envelopes and, and, and stuff like that, uh, you know, online. And we appreciate that. I'm going to pray over that in a minute. Also the connect card real quick. I'm going to pray over the message, but if you have something you need prayer for, we always pray all week for whatever that is. And if you're going through something or you know someone that is, write it down. And we just want to pray with you. We believe in the power of agreeing in prayer together. So take some time and write that down. And of course, if you're a guest today, um, I want to say thank you for being here. We're super glad that you are. We have a gift for you. So you can grab that connect card. Just put whatever you want on there, information that you want to put. And then go to the hub, which is to the left as you exit past the legacy wall. And we just have a gift as our way of saying thanks for being here. But um, I'm going to pray and then we'll dismiss. God, I think for all of us, this is a huge conversation. And I actually stand up here and I confess some hypocrisy in my own heart, in my own life that, that Lord, just like James says, hey, none of us is perfect, but that's not an excuse to go, hey man, that's just who it is. That's just what I say. That's just how I carry myself. So I pray for your spirit to continue to challenge us. Thank you that you draw near to us as we walk out repentance. God, forgive us where we've missed it. Forgive us where we've blown up our world at certain moments because of the way we carried ourselves in a conversation, because of things that were said or attitudes we carried when we said those things that all of a sudden in, in lives in this room, well, we haven't talked for years. Well, we don't, we don't have that. that. That God, you would repair certain broken walls. For some, it's being willing to have challenging conversations. God, I pray through your spirit in the right way, in the right time with the right things. 
I pray, Father, for some that need to dwell differently, Philippians 4, 8, and for all of us to take time this week to say or write something to somebody in our circle that can encourage and bless them deeply. Help us walk this out. Bless the giving today. Thank you for all of that, God. Help us to walk this journey with you in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.